0: Hey now, people call me Paul. Thanks for joining us for another installment of the 3DL podcast. That is the most boring of our potential names for the show. We're not 100% sure about that yet. So I'm joined by my sidekick, Becky Matz. I thought you were going to fight that uh, designation as sidekick. Mm. (laughs) You okay with that?
1: I'm holding it as um, a possibility, I guess.
0: <laughs> All right, let me try again. I'm joined today by my arch nemesis, Becky Matz. <laughs>
1: Look no? I like that better. That's good.
0: Maybe I'm joined by the 3DL Yoda. <laughs> Baby, Please. Yoda. Please. <laughs> well,
1: Baby Yoda.
0: Please. Well, at least fitting because Becky has. I, might sound weird, been kind of a Yoda figure to me. Maybe maybe Obi-Wan. She talks more than Yoda does. But, um, <laughs> and she's been a key player almost from the beginning, long ago in a galaxy far, far away, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you bet.
0: She's that one who knows stuff and knows people, and she knows where that file is you're looking for in the cloud. But um, if you know Becky, you also know that she's one of the most uh, insightful and and bonus kindest people on the 3DL Death Star. And if you don't know her, she's also that one that knows how to find the um, signal and the noise, which is really important these days. And she can ask the, some slicing questions that gives everybody more perspective and understanding. And so because of those things, I asked her to join us when she can to correct me when I mess up. And and I help ask people the, those really good questions she always does. But you are not at Michigan State anymore. Where are you? What are you?
1: Where am I and what am I? Those are great questions. Well, I am now, uh, as of the last uh, few months, at the University of Michigan. And I work in a unit now called the Center for Academic Innovation, which does um, quite a lot of things. But um, my job there is to be a research scientist, essentially looking at a lot of the different educational technology tools that they have in their portfolio and trying to figure out where they're being um, used well, what it means for them to be used well, if they're successful, if they're helping students learn, if they're helping students be motivated and all that kind of thing.
0: Cool. Well, um, anybody that knows you knows we're lucky to have you. Anytime you can join us, you're welcome. And um, I want to thank you in advance for your performance as an outstanding arch nemesis or foil or sidekick or um, co-host. I guess might make sense, Kathy Lee style. Did Regis <laughs> die?
1: Um, I think he might.
0: R.I.P. I'm pouring a little coffee hat for Regis. All right, well, let's do this. Let's see if we can find JT in his basement or his dungeon or wherever
2: he is that he hangs out.
1: Sounds good. Looking forward to it.
2: Hi, I'm J.T. Laverty, and I feel I'm a better teacher because of three-dimensional learning. All right,
0: so that is J.T. Laverty. I was going to ask you where you are in your house, but you've done us the... Uh...
2: I, I'm usually in the basement of my house, but instead I'm not in my office, which I've been told looks very similar to being in the basement of my house.
0: I need to know, though, have you tipped any cows since you moved to kansas
2: i've not tipped any cows i i also didn't tip cows in michigan um but i will i will note that uh here the cows are almost exclusively for steak mm. and we have a lot more wheat fields than we have cow fields but
0: i feel like i'm um i have the authority to make cow tipping comments because i went to high school in north dakota but um, <laughs> you are brave, JT, for joining us today for at least two reasons. Number one, I'm zero for one on podcast editing. Is a separate story. And number two, because you're not talking just to me, but we have a real live co-host. Becky Matz is here.
1: Hi, everyone.
2: Hi, Becky. Becky did show up for work today. Hi. Where in your house are you, Becky?
1: Well... Um we i'm in my in the the master bedroom upstairs there's a little it's a vanity it's like a makeup vanity but i don't really own any makeup so it's my desk now and um my bathroom's right behind me and my closet's right here and it's actually kind of convenient there's sink really close and you know i don't know i'm kind of getting used to working at home it's gonna be another transition to go back one day
0: so you guys are uh Famous in this three-year uh, group, and I want to start by um, kind, N-
2: notorious,
0: maybe yeah, infamous. <laughs> yep. So related to that, um, I want to ask JT how you kind of conceptualize your role within our group.
2: Oh, that's complicated. I mean, I, in the in the beginning, I started out in a position sort of similar to where you are. Uh, and in those days, it was most of our life was Becky and I and Sarah Hardalisa trying to uh, organize recordings and get all of them and find people. And uh, it took up a large chunk of our life for a good, good while.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and then it was much like your, your job is now, Paul, where it was. Uh, Trying to manage a group of 15-ish people to get them moving in directions that were productive and and not stagnate uh, and occasionally being successful.
0: Is that my job?
2: Uh, (laughs) I I don't know how you conceptualize your job. I, I won't tell you what to do. Things have changed. But now, right, I'm, I'm faculty here at Kansas State, and uh, we're a site PI. So I, I sort of view my role as continuing the conversation about the research side and also being responsible for the fellowship uh, here at Kansas State. And those are sort of the, the places that I've put myself, I put most of my effort. And then I, I've got, I've had one graduate student uh, and now another one working on projects that are adjacent to the things that we do.
0: Are you, I, I really should know this. I don't know. Are you in the physics department
2: there? I am in the physics department. Yes. Okay.
0: Let me, let me back up a little bit, um, and to just learn about JT a little bit more. Have you always, has the, the interest in the, like the teaching and learning side of science always been there for you? Or is that something that came along later?
2: Uh, I, I come from a family of educators. So my father was a college professor, uh, accounting for the record. My mother worked at a community college and a number of years back at a family reunion, we sort of did a head count. It was about a third of my extended family Mm -hmm. made their living in K-12 or college education in some form or another. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and because of that, I grew up saying I, I never wanted to teach i I absolutely did not want to do grading uh and then i I got into science uh got into physics, went to grad school, found out there's this thing called physics education research, and then ended up you know doing all those things I thought I'd never do and and doing them so much more than I would have thinking about them so much more than I ever would have thought of. This sort of mirrors my, my existence from a, uh, a team thing where I, both my parents graduated from Michigan State University, so I grew up a U of M fan, and then I had to transition <laughs> when I went to Michigan State as a grad student. But the reverse Becky, as we call it, I think, here.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I went so to uh, Michigan for grad school, and then... Uh... Worked at Michigan State, but now work again at Michigan. So I'm just very confused. Actually, nobody in my family knows where I work.
2: (laughs) It's actually totally different than Becky. um...
0: Becky, do you have educators in your family?
1: Uh, yeah, my mom taught math and computer science at the high school level uh, for 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 the the main part of her career. Some in the extended family. My sister-in-law teaches uh, chemistry at the community college that's uh Parkland Community College it's a sister community college to University of Illinois so there's a lot of chemistry in my family and some some educators
0: JT I'm assuming that um if we go back to your undergrad days all of your classes were fully three-dimensional right
2: uh I'm going to go with none of them <laughs> I'm not going to say that confidently Maybe one I'd have to really think, but no, i eh, none, none's a good estimate. Error bar of one,
1: yeah. <laughs> yep.
0: And now you are running the show, and some you, you do teach undergrads, right? Yes, or no, you do okay. I, I'm clueless,
2: I guess. What do you teach, or what have you taught
0: at Kansas State?
2: Uh, since I've been here, I have taught, um. A couple studio sections for our intro physics for engineers courses. I have taught what we call concepts of physics, but it's basically physics for elementary education majors. So there, a uh, hundred percent of the students are planning to work in K to six, basically, mm-hmm. uh, in some form or another, and. I've taught uh, classical mechanics, which is traditionally a, a junior or a, a sophomore/junior-level physics class.
1: When you think about trying to incorporate practices and core ideas into your teaching, is that something you enjoy spending your time on more or less than doing research around the three dimensions? Or do you sort of are they sort of all mixed up for you? I
2: mean, there is a bit of a mix. So the mix comes in because anytime I'm teaching 3DL, inherently there's a part of me that is thinking about how effective is this and what are the things that are making it effective or not. Which is not research, but it is, you know, part of my research brain applied to that. I don't know that I can say which is more fun. I I enjoy teaching. I, I also enjoy not doing it constantly, like if I were a K-12 teacher. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like I like I like doing it in shorter stints, and then and then spending the time on research.
0: My wife and I always have this conversation about that. How K twelve teachers should it would be great if they could you know do a research sabbatical every once in a while and think about things and not be totally drowning. Mm-hmm. So we we're talking about three D a little bit already, but so uh, one potential audience for this podcast might be say a, a college science instructor who's never heard of it before. So what how how do you describe it to someone like that who's interested, but maybe not, doesn't know a whole lot yet?
2: I, I think my my take on what three dL is has evolved uh, over time, and i've I've now come to think of it as it's a really productive language for thinking about what are the things I actually want students to be able to do and what I want them to learn in my classes and and a thing that like wasn't obvious to me in the early days but now like it's 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 designed to be a framework right it was very intentionally set up to be uh it's not prescriptive but it is very useful in guiding thoughts right so at this point i do a lot of you know what are the things that i really want and it and i just sort of say to myself that it has to fit into one of those categories in each of the three dimensions and a lot of that changes depending on the student population in the class like the 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 focus and practices shifts dramatically from when I teach the elementary education majors to when I teach the the upper level undergraduates
0: Do you get to uh use more of them with the the elementary ed people I'm just guessing at that, but
2: uh I don't know that I use more of them i I'm uh, I focus a lot more on uh, constructing explanations and on obtaining, evaluating, communicating information. Because I know that, like, this is definitely their last science class <laughs> kind of thing. And I I I want them to recognize, uh, first of all, that, like, science is about making sense of the world which is why I focus a lot on the constructing explanations or, or engaging in argument. I sort of interchangeably think about those.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and I also do a lot of like, okay, now that we've learned all this, explain it to a, to a third grader, right? Or a, a first grader comes up to you and says, I thought, blah, blah, blah. What do you say to them kinds of things? Cause it's, it's very relevant to the life they're heading into and what they want to do. Uh, and I've actually gotten a lot of positive feedback about those particular questions uh, last semester, in fact. Which was surprising cool. to me. I was like, oh, I guess these are working better than I thought. <laughs> it's not a feeling you get often as a teacher. You take it when you do it.
0: <laughs> so, uh, thinking about your class or, or any anybody's class, what types of things can we, can we look at to infer whether 3DL is happening? I... Uh...
2: I don't know the best way to answer this question.
0: Uh, I thought I thought this was a, I thought this was I was teeing it up for you to tell us about. I, yeah, you're gonna have
2: to. How about your up.
1: paper? How about your yeah. paper with eighty five citations on it right now? you you're gonna How about have to, have to that thing?
2: cut this part out, Paul. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> Uh yeah. I think it's good. Leave it in. Leave it in. I like it. So like it so we think about like what how do we determine if something's three dimensional or not? I I mean there is the the things that stick out to me are definitely things like the assessments and uh the instruction and the focus. I I've also found or I'm starting to notice as I play with this more uh in the pandemic that um uh, I get a better sense of whether the students have actually engaged with it in the way that I want. Uh, Number one, by like listening in as they're doing it. And number two, by actually asking them some really roundabout questions. Uh, So I had some exam questions last semester that were, you know, what are the most important things you learned in this class? And, And I put in parentheses, you know, not limited to content. And in fact, most of the students don't give me content answers. They say things like, working in groups helps me learn more. And I didn't realize that science was about making sense of the real world. And when I see those types of answers, obviously I feel good. But it also gave me this like, wow, this is, this is having a dramatic effect on the way they think about what science is, not just, uh, you know, teaching them the concepts. Yeah, I, I think asking that question made me feel a lot better about a lot of things because I, I realized what they were getting out of the class and how different it was from prior classes they'd had and, and what they felt was you know memorization before or just equations and, and shifting the way they think about science and what it is. And so I think looking at how students view science can be another way of figuring out if a class is really three-dimensional or not.
0: I think this might make sense as a place to, for both you and Becky, to, if you could, give us some context kind of around the um, the birth of this thing called the 3D lap, that
2: tool that mm. you guys...
1: It took longer than a birth. <laughs>
2: <liners>. <laughs> the gestation period was about two and a half years.
1: It was like, a, aren't elephants, don't they, have really long? I was going to say, life? I think we're
2: beating elephants at that point. <laughs> um <laughs> So I don't know what sort of context you want, but the the 3D lab, uh, I mean, was was in principle designed, or or uh, not designed, but was in principle planned for in the original grant. It was this idea of we'll look at assessment and instruction, and then we spent a lot of time in group meetings talking about well what does this look like an assessment and instruction and we and we sort of bounced back and forth Mm -hmm. and as I as I mentioned earlier this idea of like trying to keep everything productive and not stagnating and we we definitely had moments of stagnation in there and at some point we said okay we we should split into two groups one group that focuses on the lap and one group that focuses on the lap and that lasted like two weeks because then we were (laughs) like Because what we realized very quickly was we were going to have a lot of the same conversations in two different places, mm-hmm. and that, and then we'd have to come together and figure that out, and that was that was going to be complicated. So then mm-hmm. we decided to focus on the lap because we felt that was easier.
0: JT can just I don't want to alienate anybody, just I, and it's my fault. We haven't said what that is yet. So three D L three D lap three-dimensional learning assessment Three,
2: protocol. Yeah, 3D Labs, for so three-dimensional Sorry. learning assessment protocol. It's, a, it's a, an instrument that we designed that is meant to uh, do two things. The first is it is designed to help uh, researchers sort of identify these kinds of things in data for whatever purposes they might have. And the second thing is as a guide to practitioners designing assessments or looking for assessments, uh, that that meet the you know reach the level of three-dimensional learning kinds of things, uh it can be used by them as well. And that was those two purposes were I don't want to say they were in there in the beginning. Uh they were in there very early for me and I eventually brought everybody else along with that second purpose. And that's not like I was so smart. That was just I that is what I thought I was doing and then later realized that was not what everybody thought we were doing. But the, I think I, some of
1: that came too with the, as the fellowship, uh, as we were involving more of our um, teaching peers at, um, at f- first just at MSU, you know, and as we began to use this reading lab um, in different activities around the fellowship, we began to realize that it had more value for practitioners than we initially kind of thought.
2: Yeah, so it was designed for those purposes, and I, I was in the middle of the the story of sort of where it came about. So. So after we failed to split into two groups, uh, it was then, OK, let's let's pick one, do that, and then hopefully it'll help us with the other one. Uh, and mm-hmm. then another year to a year and a half went by before we published this thing, before um, so we were finally happy with it, and we felt good about it. Because it's, it's a lot of, there were a lot of uh, purposes to serve, right? It had to work in three different disciplines, It had to make sense for three different disciplines. It had to make sense to all the researchers, make sure that we could agree on what was and wasn't, even if it wasn't in our own discipline. And it had to work for practitioners, so it couldn't use, you know, a lot of jargony type things. Uh, And then there's the more mundane things. The one I always think of is, at some point in time, it was, you know, requires students to identify the elements of a system and the chemists went you you can't use the word elements that means a different thing for us and I was like oh that's a good point uh let's go with components components we'll go with components
1: yeah I think we did spend a good um I don't know six or eight weeks in a rabbit hole of trying to find a definition of phenomenon do you remember that (laughs)
2: All right. out of, out I, I... have a
1: library in our office.
2: And and the real and question I have Becky is do you still get the song stuck in your head? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I absolutely do. There's some things that will never leave me. And as a side note, this is a total side note. JT introduced me to the phenomena manamana song which was amazing. But he also introduced me to paste without formatting and it has <laughs> changed it has changed me into a judging person when I see people who have many different formats in their documents. And I just, I think about when I paste without formatting, I think, I thank you every time. <laughs>
2: for, for those listening to this, let's get a little <laughs> context. Uh, paste <laughs> without formatting is the idea that if you copy <laughs> some text from like word, it comes with a lot of like, Oh, do you want it bold or whatnot? There's a, there's a yeah. command on every computer that allows you to paste just the text with whatever the formatting is, where you're pasting it, uh, which is wonderful once you know it exists. And the other thing yeah. is, is if you've ever seen The Muppets, uh, there was the song Manomena, Uh And then at some point in history, uh, Sandra Bullock was on an episode, and, and they, they did basically the same song with the word phenomenon. Uh, and you can go search for that. Um, just know you'll never forget it. once you know you cannot unknow so just be warned paul just learned something is what's happening here yeah
0: yeah okay so maybe you answered this already but was there kind of one big leap or or something that you had to make when you were operationalizing 3dl because it was originally developed in the k-12 context to being able to use it in higher what was the big jump there
2: uh, I don't. I don't know that there was a, like a jump in the process that happened. What the way that we went about doing this was we found lots and lots of things, and we basically sorted them into categories, and we said, is, "Do we think this is 3D L or not?" Uh, and we, we the things put being
1: up, assessment items. Yeah, yeah. the things the being assessment items. Yeah. Uh,
2: and then we we looked at the ones that we said were 3D L, and we said, "Okay, what does this have?" And we tried to tried to design the criteria to match those things.
0: They smelled 3dL before there was a 3d lab.
2: Right. And, and then we, and we looked at the ones that didn't fit and we said, okay, do any of these meet that criteria that we developed? Uh, and, and so we, we basically refined it from that general Hmm. idea. Uh, what you might think of as a grounded theory approach to, to doing research or, um,
1: There was also, um, so I don't don't think this has come out yet, but our sort of version of 3DL has essentially adopted the practices and the cross-cutting concepts as they exist in that framework, but the core ideas um, are not uh, copied essentially from the framework. They were each, um, so each discipline had its own process and we could talk more about that, but each discipline had its own process for sort of, identifying the core ideas that were reflected in at the time Michigan State's lower division introductory biochem and physics courses. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a pretty big operational lift actually and JT had a big hand in that in um, physics and then um, other processes and bio and chem happened as well.
0: So in the end the three lap, um, is it just a checklist?
2: I, I'm mostly okay with saying yes to that but I but I want to highlight one danger which is uh, and I, I do this a lot in talks like I don't want to say that something that is 3dL is inherently good and something that is not is bad uh, there is more sort of thinking that has to go into it and the, and the example I usually use is uh, I have a, a question. That is about tetherball that is 3dL uh, is three-dimensional mm-hmm. uh, and then I say this doesn't mean that this is a good question because let's be honest, how many students know what tetherball is? Mm-hmm. right And so that, that like it's a checklist it's productive for looking at 3dL. It doesn't tell you that you have a good question. It doesn't tell you that it's worded well kinds mm-hmm. of things, but it it is a very productive way of making sure that you are getting at the things you want to get at. And so it is a checklist for that, but not necessarily for just writing a question all on its own. Mm -hmm.
0: It's a productive way to get at what you're trying to get at using a productive language to communicate with other people about it.
2: See, my, my, my thinking is at least (laughs) (laughs) self-consistent.
0: Okay. So this is a, again, I don't know if it's a leading question or a silly question, but um, so you can look at people's assessments with the 3D lab. you can look at you know, um, somebody's test. And I, is there like a, a cutoff or a target for what would what makes a, an assessment 3D enough? Uh,
2: there is no cutoff. and it, and even if there was, uh, we have no idea what it is. Hmm.
1: Uh, we might just say it's on zero.
2: It's, yeah, if it's zero, it's a problem. <laughs> if you never ask a question that's three D, it's a problem. I and this shifts a lot depending on the class you're doing and how you're setting it up. If you've got like for classical mechanics, when I teach that, you know, homework assignments are five long, the t- five questions. The test is, you know, eight, at, and they're and they're mm-hmm. shorter. Uh, so having two or three that are three dimensional fills the time of taking an exam pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in a class like my, the one I teach for elementary education majors, uh, I I actually divide that into part multiple choice and part not. And I try to make the multiple choice as good as I can, but really it's the not ones that I make sure are 3D. And I usually have about seven or eight of those, but they're, they're much more of the variety of, you know, explain this to a fifth grader. Here's two people talking, explain what they mean, uh, or draw something because drawing things is way easier to grade.
0: So somebody just starting out, shouldn't feel bad if they're not writing 100% 3d assessments.
2: I, I have never written a 3 d assessment. <laughs> I, so if somebody else starts out that way, that would be really impressive. <laughs>
1: And for people who are starting out, it's so much easier to take some existing question that you feel like is pretty good, you know, you could take it up a notch. You could add in some data that students could analyze or you could ask them to draw or whatever. Um it's so much easier to start with, you know, like in any in any scenario. It's easier to start with a draft and improve it than to start from scratch and try to just birth a 3D question, which is very challenging.
0: We need a uh, midwife in this podcast today. (laughs) Um, I call midwife. (laughs) (laughs) So JT, what, we can look at somebody's assessments. You can also, and I don't, I don't know that right now is the time to go all crazy on describing the 3D LOP, which is another, which is our observation protocol. But what, just kind of more broadly, what are the uh, pros and cons of looking at assessments Versus looking at instruction when you're trying to characterize a, what's happening.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean the the advantages of looking at assessments is clearly that it's faster and easier, right? Like, <laughs> I can I can code assessments for a class in well less than the amount of time it takes to watch one class session. Uh, you give me an exam and tell me to code it, I can get that back to you in half an hour pretty easily. Usually if you if you want me to code a class, we got to look at two or three class sessions and, you know, make some inferences about what's happening. And uh, it's, it's more time consuming to do it in instruction than in assessment.
1: And that goes for data collection as well.
2: For, yeah.
1: Um, you know, the assessments, you can ask somebody two years after their class.
2: So send me your assignment.
1: Right. So you have to be a lot more proactive with video and characterizing instruction.
0: If you and Becky look at a set, the same assessment in the same class, are you more likely to agree on assessments than you are on the instruction?
2: Uh I don't I don't know about that. I do know that Becky and I rarely agree. So <laughs> that is that's a tall order. Is there somebody you, you that
0: you usually do agree with, JT?
2: Um, oh God, Paul, that was that cut deep. Uh, ooh. No. no. <laughs> Am I the problem? Am I the bad no. guy? <laughs> it's it's good to have that person uh, keeping you honest. I, I like to think I disagree in ways that are not uh, uh, problematic, at least.
1: <laughs> I think that's true. I think you, mm-hmm. you, you come from always principled points of view and are, sometimes it's annoying, but it's, it's never, you know, I, I, I think it's productive.
0: It's not the same as my three-year-old who can't wait to say the opposite of what she's been asked to do.
1: Uh, yeah.
2: No, I, I, I would like to think I have progressed beyond three-year-old uh, activities as I think about my own three-year-old's activities lately. Uh, I don't think I actually answered your original question, though, which was, are are we more likely to agree on the assessments than on the instruction? I don't know. I think we would probably agree about the same amount in either case.
1: Yeah, I think we've definitely come to a common, a a reasonably common understanding between us and between the other Researchers in the team, as to what it, you know, what does a practice look like? What it, how how do you characterize a practice in an, in an exam question? And I think, for a long time, we were we were better at doing that in our sort of disciplinary groups, like the chemist could talk to the chemists, the biologist could talk to biologists, and physicists could talk to the physicists. Um, and we had more difficulty talking across the groups because it was just very time intensive to sort of normalize our coding behavior in both scenarios. But I do think that's something that, overall, the team has worked towards and gotten better at, um, particularly with the video data that they were that everybody's worked with more recently.
2: There's a there's another layer to this, which is which makes the answer harder. Which is just that Becky and I don't share a discipline, so mm-hmm. uh, I don't know which video we're watching, but. <laughs> If it's if it's in physics, we will probably go with me. And if it's in Mm -hmm. in biology, we're going to go with what Becky says, kind of thing. If, if, when we disagree. Yeah.
0: So this is making me think of some other protocols or tools that are out there. And I'm not going to go into acronym soup, um, but can you give us a kind of a bird's eye of how these 3DL tools compare to those other instruments that people use to characterize assessments and or instruction?
2: So the the language that we has sort of fallen out of favor within the group, but we, we used a lot in the early days was that the 3D stuff was gonna focus on what is being taught or what is being learned as opposed to how it's being taught. Right? So a lot of the other observation protocols that exist focus on things like is the instructor lecturing? Are the students working in groups? Are the students talking to each other? Which is about how content is delivered. But the 3DL stuff is really focused on what content is trying to be delivered, right? And there's a there's a big difference between, you know, uh, trying to deliver, memorize these structures of atoms in, in these molecules versus let's make sense of the macroscopic properties of this molecule based on its, its uh, molecular level diagram. And... Like other protocols, don't really get at that. What is the thing that is is trying to be accomplished here?
0: When you explain that, sounds good. I think maybe, and I, I don't know for I don't know about this, but maybe the reason we've gotten away from it is because, um, to me, the practices can be thought of as like a how you know how you interact with the uh, core ideas. Um, so I think that's where the, the how and the what kind of get confusing to me. Sometimes
2: I I think that's I mean I, I, I'm certainly not going to disagree with what you're saying, but the the how that I mean is like how the content is delivered, how mm-hmm. the class looks. Whereas the 3D L stuff is what is the purpose? What is the thing that that we are trying to get students to be able to do as a result of this? And I think that's a, a an important distinction.
0: Mm-hmm. is there should we is there ever a situation where it makes sense to have a a, a how protocol and a what protocol yeah
2: yeah i mean I, I think it does make sense to look at both um but one thing that we did sort of learn as we went along and and kind of knew it even in the beginning is that uh you can't do 3dl things in a classroom and straight lecture It just like Doing 3DL really does require students to be doing something somewhere in the process. And so they there is a part of this that is that has to be the how, right? Like we'll never see a straight lecture class that is really getting at students figuring out how to do those scientific practices. Because if you're just lecturing, students aren't doing it at all. So the how has a place even within the 3D law. Uh, and certainly. Certainly other protocols getting at how have been effective at showing faculty and instructors some things that are helpful, right? Like,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, you know, a lot of those early protocols would do things like, say, here's the amount of time you're spending on this stuff. And people would go, I'm not lecturing. That- oh, I'm lecturing that much. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> that's unfortunate. <laughs> um, so it does it does offer interesting windows on what's happening that it can still be productive uh, but i don't think it's offering the same window as the 3d lot
0: the three lap and three lap are well, i think like becky mentioned bio, biology physics chemistry um centered the, the those core ideas have been developed um do you think it has potential the 3d that 3d has potential value in terms of other science disciplines or even non-science disciplines.
2: So, so now I'm now now you're asking me to reach out my outside of my wheelhouse, but sure, let's go here. Um, <laughs> the, I think in things like biochem, geology, there's still a lot of relevance to be had for uh, something like math. I think it's less directly applicable. Uh, and and part of that is like the, the real simple argument here, right? Is within science, using math is one of the eight practices. For math,
1: mm-hmm.
2: using math is everything. Like it's not a practice. It's, it's the thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so really, like you could argue that you need to subdivide using math into a different set of things if you're going to try and take this to a math uh, context. As far as like how is this is this relevant beyond STEM at all my gut reaction is no because it's for STEM but one thing that has stuck out to me uh, about the list of scientific practices is Occasionally I get in conversations with people that aren't in STEM and this comes up and I'll say you know those things and that, And inevitably somebody will say something like well, of course we want that. That's what all of us want, right? Like all academics want their students constructing explanations engaging in arguments who doesn't want their students Doing stuff with it with whatever the content is in those disciplines, so yeah. It's a, it's a pretty useful list in a lot of ways but I, I think we are stretching the boundaries to try and do too much with it beyond mm-hmm. them.
1: I think there's a fair bit um, on how the Common Core standards for math, like like they do a, a better job of essentially doing what you suggested, JT, of sort of subdividing the math, you know, using um, mathematical thinking practice into, you know, specific mathematical practices that, you know, are... You know, in some ways, very unique to math. But again, like you were saying, for the for the three dimensions that we use, they could be there's still utility. You know, coming the other way, like one of the mathematical practices is attending to precision, and certainly we value that in science as well. But um, it's called mm-hmm. out specifically for math in the Common Core.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm I'm impressed that Becky can name any of the ones from the Common Core off the top of her head. <laughs> I'm over here oh, cheating, feeling, opening it up. I googled what? it.
1: <laughs> I googled it quietly during the. I actually didn't Google it. I looked in our Google Drive, which could have its own podcast. Our Google Drive, <laughs> our own podcast episode.
2: Yeah, but that's it's that's cool. all Becky, the the wizard of uh, organization over there. So you're going to interview the drive, Becky. <laughs> No, uh, you have to you have to interview Becky on how the drive came to exist no. and evolved over time because yeah. it is far more useful than it has any right to be for as long as it's been there <laughs> and as many people have been involved in it.
0: Well, if nothing else, people are going to check out the pasting without formatting and Sander Bullock and the Muppets, right? Sander Bullock was it, well, San- was it phenomenon? Yep,
2: phenomenon. Okay. I hope so it's going to be in my head all day now
0: <laughs> all right JT we uh, we appreciate you thank you very much for your time
2: thanks for having me and
0: we'll see you, you know, out here in the ether